This is the almost world-famous Original Music Jam Podcast. Episode 4, The Life of Carrie Drake. Join us as we take a look into the life and times of Carrie and his family. Jim, what are you doing? Who are you trying to imitate? Well... I'm trying to sound like the one and only Bill Curtis. I thought, you know, we're interviewing you, and your story plays out like an old crime documentary. Like the old American justice and mobster shows brought with mafia of mob murders, Hollywood celebrities and such. We should have a Bill Curtis-type narrator. Hello, Carrie Drake. I think I should do the narration. Born on the outskirts of trouble and man. Oh, Martin, not you too. Yeah, well, Martin and I met working on American Justice shows and other shows for A&E. We did tons of these shows. I was doing the music, Martin was doing the mixes. We should call Jonathan and ask him who should be the Bill Curtis voice here. Who's Jonathan? Well, Jonathan Towers, Towers Productions, executive producer and great guy to work for. Yeah, Martin, I think your invitation is better, even with that British accent. Yeah, Jonathan and Bill are both super great guys. Love working with them. I still do sound location recording for Curtis Productions every now and again. Hitting the road, doing the stuff. Yeah, well, I think we'd all be better off if you just let me tell the story. Well, just for the record, I've heard bits and pieces of this story, and I'm really dying to hear the whole thing. Maybe I shouldn't use the word dying. (laughs) Very funny, Jim. Seriously, this is a very intriguing story. And to keep it in the spirit of the podcast, I'm going to score this just like an American Justice or a Mobsters episode. Do you know Mobsters, the TV series, is being broadcast in primetime weekdays on Reels? Or should I say, primetime? The Reels channel. I think it's spelled with a Z. What are you, some kind of spokesman for Reels now? Yeah. So, I'll score this like an old crime doc, and the songs we'll do will be in the same vein. I like to use jazz to score these things. There's something about a jazz walking bass that captures the swag and arrogance of the era. You can't use the kind of walking bass that's typical in jazz and bebop, though. You have to use cool jazz where the bass is playing a simple line. I think it's easier on the listeners. We just want to tell a simple story. And you need a good old-fashioned orchestra to complement everything. Hey, am I ever going to get to tell the story here? You guys have me all worked up and nervous about doing yeah, this. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm getting a little carried away here. I love doing this stuff. Anyway... Carrie, tell us where you were born and how this all started. All right, Jim. So, you know, I always say I'm originally from L.A., right? Yes, do tell. Well, I grew up in L.A., technically San Fernando Valley, in a town called Tarzana, named after the author of Tarzan, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who coincidentally was originally from Oak Park, Illinois. Really? But I was actually born in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was uh, one of the original Playboy bunnies uh, at the original Playboy Club. And no, she was not in the magazine, so don't bother looking. (laughs) Um, That's where she met my dad, who was a stand-up comedian. He was was playing at the Playboy Club when they met. And, uh, you know, hey, nine months later, out popped Carrie. Then uh, three years later, they finally got married. And yes, I'm a bastard. Uh I knew it. Yeah, just kidding. Is that when you moved to L.A.? Yeah, that's when I moved to L.A. Anyway, as a stand-up comic, my dad appeared on uh, shows like The Ed Sullivan Show, Jackie Gleason's Show, Dean Martin Comedy Hour, even The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. And then, uh, you know, for many years in the 70s, he performed in Las Vegas and opened for acts like Tom Jones and Engelbert Humperdinck and Tony Martin and Vic Damone. Wasn't he an outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds? Uh, Sorry, bad joke. (laughs) Continue. That was Vic D'Avolio. Vic D'Avolio, you're right. (laughs) 
<laughs> but but actually, you know, hanging around uh, my dad there um, with all those singers, I got to hang around the bands, and and that's where I started getting interested in music as a, as a young child. Um, anyway, later as a character actor, he appeared on a bunch of TV series, including things that maybe people don't know, like Cheyenne or The Good Guys, but also on shows like Get Smart, Courtship of Betty's Father, Too Close for Comfort, and even Sanford and Son, where he had a reoccurring role as the white brother-in-law, Rodney Victor. They were He was actually the first part of the first biracial couple on TV. Cool. Hey, and now that I've seen pictures of him, I do remember him. He was a character actor in a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But today I thought I'd share a little bit of my dad's dark history before, you know, he met my mom. Okay, here we go. This is where it gets juicy. Yeah, so back in the 50s and 60s, every good-sized city across the country had this place called the Supper Club. And all of them were owned and run by mafia. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> the big cities had some of the most well-known clubs that were really upscale. Like New York had had the Stork Club and the Copacabana. So every entertainer that played those clubs knew the owners were mafia guys. Of course. So my dad played those clubs and knew all the mobsters that owned the clubs. My dad was uh, also married before my mom, the Playboy Bunny, in 1961. Uh Uh-oh. And his first wife, believe it or not, was Miss New Jersey, 1944. So if you ever saw a picture of my old man, you'd you'd be asking yourself right now, how the heck did that guy marry those two beautiful blondes? And the truth is, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe it's another reason to get up on stage and tell jokes or get up on stage and play music. Anyway, uh, in uh, September 59, he was playing the Copacabana, three shows a night. And his wife, his first wife, uh, came to the early show uh, on opening night and wanted to go home afterwards. But it just so happened that the owner of the Copa was this mob boss, little Augie Baizano, uh, who, of course, my dad was friends with and, uh, you know, happened to be there catching the first show, too. And he was going home at the same time, so he'd offered to give her a ride home. Unfortunately for all of them, there was a contract out on little Augie, and two other mobsters were hiding in the back seat of little Augie's Cadillac. So little Augie got whacked, my dad's first wife got whacked, just a case of wrong place, wrong time, I guess. <laughs> you know? Oh, but, man. Uh, you know, on a serious side, then just being associated with the mob got him blacklisted for like a couple years. I, I don't know if there's a moral to this story here, but there's a story, Jim. Wow, crazy. Do you think your dad knew anything? I mean, was he trying to get rid of his first wife? You never know. He was uh, <laughs> hanging around with them mobsters. <laughs> Uh, don't we all have those thoughts from time to time, Jim? God, I hope my wife doesn't hear this. <laughs> okay, okay, I know this story is just getting good, but we've got Colleen and the other guys just sitting here waiting. we got to do a song. Jim, don't you have something written and ready to go? Yep, a song called Look in Their Eyes. Yeah, I guess it's a good time to do a song. I'll continue later. So, Jim, tell us the backstory on this song. Backstory, yes. Well... Very quickly, because I want to get back to Carrie's story. I literally scored over 100 cable TV shows about mobsters and criminals. When you compose music to picture, or you compose to anything, I suppose, you listen to the material over and over again. A trick I use, or I picked up, I guess, without really thinking about it, is using words to help create a motif. So let's say the mobster Fred is found dead. I would sing, Fred is dead. While creating a melody. Sometimes like this song, after Harry would lay down a rhythm part, I would hear more lyrics in my head to the point where it was almost a song. Since I don't sing well at all, that can be painful until you get someone like Colleen to sing it. I used to get my children to do scratch vocals for me on these things. Anyways, here's one of them. It's about a wife, an older sister, or a wise mother, or a friend just telling someone 
Some poor guy to try and survive in the mob world. Hey, don't forget to mention Terry Connelly's here to do horn parts and trumpet solos. Oh yes, my old friend Terry. Okay, Harry, get us going. Dun, da, da. Martin, take us back in time with this. There you go. Somebody should have played this song for Carrie's dad. <laughs> what are you, some kind of wise guy? Here we go. solos with Terry. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, but you do what you gotta do. A life of crime, fear and mistrust Where rules are made and defined Darkened streets
There you go. I love that trumpet sound. Trading solos with Terry was a blast. And that last chord on the guitar. What is that? D minor demented? I think you're D minor demented. <laughs> Can we get back to Gary now? Yes, let's do. Gary, you ready to pick it back up? I know it's not the end of your story. There's a lot more to this. So tell us what happens next. So because my dad was in showbiz in L.A., uh, I actually had some opportunities to do a little acting myself. Yes. I, I, I don't know. I guess he figured why not have his son make a little money in the in the old family business. So, of course, you got to carry your own weight. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> I actually did a few commercials, one for Firestone. There was a Hot Wheels commercial, another one for Malto Meal. Do you have copies of those things? Uh, I might be able to dig them up somewhere. Oh. Oh, you do. You're you're holding back on us. (laughs) But then when I was, uh, uh, I think about eight years old, I auditioned, and it was actually cast as Eddie on The Courtship of Eddie's Wow, cool. Yeah. And I hate to tell you this, but you are not the kid in The Courtship (laughs) of Eddie's Father. So do you want to explain that? Yeah, well, so when I found out I was going to have to go to school on set and that I wouldn't see any of my other friends any, you know, uh, any time soon after I started the show, I, you know, I told my parents, yeah, I don't really want to do that. And they were okay with it? You missed out on millions of dollars? Are <laughs> yeah. You, well, are like you? I said, on one hand, I, you know, I kind of feel like I dodged a bullet. You know, so many of those child actors kind of ended up messed up on drugs or in trouble with the law. True. So, uh, but I guess the only regret I have is that I probably passed up making a ton of cash. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Besides uh, my almost non-existent acting career, I guess uh, probably a little more interesting to our listeners might be who I went to school with, a bunch of uh, well-known child actors. Again, yeah. do tell. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I went to grade school with Susan Olson, known to everybody as little Cindy on the Brady Bunch. Was and, she in your grade? Or? She was, yeah. She was in my exact grade. In, wow. uh, um, in grade school. And then I, in high school, um, Danny Bonaducci, uh, who, of course, was Danny Partridge on the Partridge family, uh, went to school with him. He was a little bit of a troublemaker, I'll have to say. We could talk about that some other time because I know you know him, too. Yep. Uh, and then, the, actually, the one I have the fondest memories of and most regrets about is Gina Gershaw. Really? You went out with her? She's really good looking. How did she go out with you? <laughs> it was high school. Uh, you know, she was uh, she was young, and I had a big head of hair back then, so. <laughs> Is she taller than you? No, but she's a hell of a lot better looking than, in, uh, <laughs> you know. Now I'll say. <laughs> oh, she's made a ton of movies, actually. And, you know, so true story, I went on a date with her in high school, but an even truer story... I saw a lot more of her watching her movie Showgirls than I ever Ooh. saw on that date with her. So <laughs> I know that movie you're yeah, talking if about. If you haven't seen it, folks, <laughs> yeah. it's worth the rent. Uh, anyway, you know, growing up, uh, we had a whole bunch of showbiz people coming over to the house all the time. Uh, you know, my first really good guitar was a uh, Gibson ES-150. You know, full hollow body jazz guitar given to me by one of my dad's friends, a jazz singer and band leader named Billy Eckstein. Oh my goodness. Oh man, he was a trumpet player and guitar player. And I think he's known for his singing. Yep. I'm pretty sure he was like hanging with Duke Ellington. He was Duke Ellington's guy. No, you got it right. Yeah, he was popular in the swing era. Pretty cool guy and a really cool guitar too. So my dad was also. You still have that guitar? I don't. No! (laughs) It was stolen. Oh! 
Yeah. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> I got a lot of really sad guitar stories oh. I could tell. Uh, my dad was also really close friends with another pretty well-known musical arranger and conductor, a guy named Joe Parnello. Oh, I know of him. Yeah, yeah. He uh, arranged and conducted for, again, people like Vic Damone, not Davileo. Oh, um, you know, And even Frank Sinatra for many years. He was wow. his conductor. Yep. So, um, But he used to come over to our house like every week, and uh, he would always you know, take me to the side for a couple minutes and sit down with me and give me a little lesson or a quiz on like music theory or composition of, of melody and harmonies and how music man. compositions were you know often built on variations oh, of man. a central so theme. what happened you forgot all that <laughs> <laughs> i probably did but those lessons you know they were all really simple i mean i think i was 10 years old at the time he was coming over but they really stuck with me and they actually sparked my interest in composing music you know i'm only kidding because you are a really good songwriter but I am so jealous, I can't tell you. <laughs> and, you know, the truth is I got a million crazy little stories, but, uh, you know, I think maybe it's time we do another song. Are you sure? Because, man, I want to hear more about Billy Eckstein and all the other things you did, but, man, I didn't know all these things about you. You know, mystery is uh, unpeeling the onion. Well, I really do have a great song that fits this occasion. And I just wanted to write something positive, and I call this wonderful, or a wonderful life. Sounds like Martin has found the children's choir version I did that you could pick up at J.W. Pepper. Thanks for the promo, Martin. Not a problem, Jim. You need all the help you can get. But it does match <laughs> Carrie's wonderful life. On a really cool side note that matches Carrie's father's story, the harmonica, which I'm going to cheat and pull off an old track, was recorded by Paul Von Merton, a wonderful musician, in the green room while waiting to go on The Tonight Show, while Paul was waiting to perform with Brian Wilson. And Gary Pig is going to join us to sing it from his Nashville studio. Oh, cool. Mr. Gary Pig is here. Gary, you ready to go? I'm ready, Jim. I'm going to grab my roll-and-go piano and play along. Oh, Gary's a great singer. He's done a ton of commercials. He's worked with people like Neil Young, Amy Grant, loads of others. Highly respected studio musician. All right, here we go. Step into the sunlight. Sun shines in my hair. Magic's in the sky above. Magic's everywhere. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Such a wonderful life I look to your smiling face When I need a friend All my dreams are satisfied All my fears transcend It's a wonderful life It's a wonderful life Such a wonderful life Yeah When we live When we die When we love When we cry It's a wonderful
I noticed you use slang like ain't for some of the lyrics here. Is that a nod to mobsters? Yeah, nice catch. Yes, it is. I don't think I use it in the children's version. And I don't mention dying and crying either, <laughs> FYI. Yeah, the words are kind of clunky in this version of the song, but I was trying to capture what a mobster would write or say. Try to mix, like, sophisticated words with slang. For what we've got, be thankful for what we share. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Such a wonderful life. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful life. Such a wonderful life. That harmonica reminds me of the theme song to Sanford and Son. You know, the show my dad was on. Yeah, you know, I never thought about it, but yeah, it does. Well, the lyrics in that song are kind of clunky, but I think I made up for it in the children's version. Nah, you're too hard on yourself. Anyone who wants to write or compose or create any kind of art has to throw it out there and get thick-skinned. You never know when somebody's garbage is someone else's yeah, gem. Yeah, true. Hey, it's time to go. Really? We just got started. It's time to go. Hey, Martin's singing. Get did Martin just swear? Ah, Martin doesn't swear. What the heck's he doing in there? <laughs> All right. Well, later, Gator. Hey, nice life, Gary. Thanks, man. Boy, I can't wait to hear Gary Pig's story. Oh, well, next time. <laughs>